0: Hello, my praying people, and I am so glad that you're here listening. I'm in the middle of doing kind of a series on faith versus doubt and how we can believe and receive and all of those fun little phrases, but this episode that you're about to listen to is based on a chapter out of a book called The Promising God by Richard Butcher, and it's all about what faith is and what doubt is. And in a nutshell, I'll tell you, faith is being certain, doubt is being uncertain. You're going to notice as you go through this podcast that there's a section of it where my voice changes quite a bit. And that's because at the place I was when I was um, recording, I had to stop and start and stop and start because of the interruptions that happen in my normal family life in the evenings. And in fact, I recorded part of the podcast in the evening and the other part in the morning. You all were the very first people that I woke up talking to. And so um, in the second little portion, or kind of toward the end, you're hearing my morning voice, but it is what it is, and I'm glad you're here, and we will continue talking about um, how we can truly pray, believe in the promises, and be people who experience God literally um, getting all up and in our business as He works out the details of our lives. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and that if you enjoy it, you'll give us a five-star rating, and you'll share it with your friends. Please do share. It's one of the easiest ways that you can um, share your faith is by sharing these podcasts with people who are struggling to believe. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hello, my praying people. I promised you that in these next few weeks, I was going to talk about faith versus doubt or um, how we can really believe the promises that God's given us. And in last week's episode on this podcast, I I actually shared with you a a message, a teaching session on um, believing the promises. And I culminated that lesson by saying that the minute God made his promise to us is the minute that he kept it, that we can know that God kept the promise the minute He gives it to us because He's a promise-keeping God. I want to expand on that thought in today's episode, and I want to do it by really sharing with you some of what I've read in a book that I quote from often, and it's called The Promising God by Richard Butcher, B-U-C-H-E-R. And um, in this section of this book, The Promising God, he is talking about what faith is versus what doubt is. And I'm just going to go through here and just share with you some of the parts of this chapter that I highlighted. And then I might give a little bit of a running commentary along the way. So let me start with this. And I'm picking up in just so as not to be, I don't know if you can plagiarize while you're podcasting, but literally I'm sharing out of his book. And I'm starting on page 70. And this whole chapter is about um, believing God's promises. So that's the title of the chapter. But here's what he, he starts with on page 70. He says, A definition of faith. So here it is faith is being certain that God will keep his promises. Faith is certain that whatever God has promised, will happen no matter how long it takes no matter what happens in the meantime faith is certain confident sure and fully convinced that god will fulfill his promise so according to butcher the definition for faith is knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever it is that god has promised is going to happen because he's god he knows it he is able (laughs) that's my little running commentary All right, now on to what he wrote about doubt. He's defining doubt. To doubt means to be uncertain about something, to be unsure. And he's talking about that to doubt means to be unsure of whether God is able to keep his promise. And the example was made out of Romans that Abraham He did not doubt. He understood that because God gave him a promise, God was bound to keep the promise. In fact, in the Romans passage, and I'm not going to take the time to look it up right now, but in that Romans passage, the scripture actually says that Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised that he would do. And so Abraham's um, faith was not being affected by his circumstances, not one iota, because he didn't trust what was happening around him, he trusted God. He was trusting a person, not a particular place or particular things that were happening, he was trusting God. And um, then Boucher goes on to talk about two key passages in the New Testament that speak of doubt. And um, one of them is James 1, 5 through 8. And here's the scripture. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And this is what Butcher writes about this verse these verses. James promises his readers that if any among them lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it'll be given to him. But he writes, let him ask in faith with no doubting. And so he's saying the first thing he wants us to notice is that James pits these two against one another as opposites. So faith on one side and doubting on the other. And now he's talking about how James describes doubt. He first compares a doubter to waves battered by the wind. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. James uses this colorful metaphor to communicate what goes on in the doubter's mind. Just as a wave is blown first one way, then another by the wind, so the doubter's conviction of whether God is going to give him what he asked, wisdom in this case, goes back and forth between being sure that God's going to do it and being unsure. He wavers back and forth between these two opinions. Because he does this, the doubter is double-minded. In other words, the doubter is of two minds, one that is certain that God will keep his promise and one that isn't. The doubter is unstable in all his ways, and the Greek word translated unstable can also mean restless, and it's sometimes used to refer to a person who vacillates in his convictions. According to James, the real problem with doubting is that it leads to an unfortunate consequence. The person who asks in doubt shouldn't think that he will receive anything from the Lord. In my opinion that verse 7, that you shouldn't think that you're going to receive anything from the Lord. It's almost like, why even bother? And quite frankly, my friends, I think that this is the reason so many people find prayer futile. Because they really don't think that God's going to do anything in response to their prayers. I mean, who wants to spend their time doing something that really is not going to make any difference anyway? And I'm afraid that a lot of people... Just don't get it. They don't understand that God is who he says he is and that he means for the promises in his word, not just to be recordings of stories that happened long, long ago, but examples of ways that God will always interact with us even today. Remember that God um, is watching over the steps of the godly, and he's paying attention or involved in every detail of their lives. That's my verse in Psalms that I love so much that I promise I will look up and put the reference to in the, in the show notes. But what Boucher is saying about James, um, right here about James, is that the real problem is with doubting. And that's what leads to us, really, even if we're asking not getting anything from the Lord. And he said here, pay attention to what James doesn't write. He doesn't write anything about why the person is doubting or what they are doubting. Whether, for example, they are doubting God's power or are doubting his willingness. Whether they are doubting because they're unsure if God can give them wisdom or are doubting because they're unsure if God will give them wisdom. For James, a person who asks in doubt is simply a person who is unsure or unconvinced for any reason that what they ask will be given. And now he writes, before you get discouraged, read this. At the heart of James's definition of doubt is the notion of wavering, going back and forth between believing, being sure that God will give you what you asked, and doubting, being unsure that he will. The second point he makes is that a doubter shouldn't expect God to answer his prayer. And it sounds as if he's saying that unless we are doubt-free, God won't answer our prayers. That if any doubt whatsoever enters our minds while we're waiting for God to answer our prayer, we guarantee that God will not grant whatever we ask. Now, while what James says may be true according to the letter of the law, fortunately, God is a God of grace and mercy, as you'll see later, and he says later in the chapter. So basically, he's saying God is a God who has frequently been merciful even to doubters. And then later on in this chapter, he gives examples of that. Now, listen to this part. The doubt that ruins our prayers is not the fleeting thoughts of uncertainty that all Christians have while they wait. It is allowing uncertainty to gain the upper hand for extensive periods or never being sure in the first place. As I said earlier, and he's going to talk more about that later. So anyway, this is him saying, he's really describing doubt using the James passage. And doesn't doubt really drive us that way? Isn't it like the hardest thing in the world to be, let's say, at church on Sunday morning, you're worshiping with the crowd, Um, the Spirit of God is rich in the place, and you are suddenly paying attention to the words, and you're like, Yes, 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 I believe this. This is the God I serve. This is the God I worship. This is the God who is able. And then you, by Sunday afternoon, something happens that agitates whatever it is you're trying to trust God with, And suddenly you're like, oh, I do believe it. And maybe it works that way for everybody else. But I'm just not sure it's going to work that way for me. Or maybe, and you start, your doubts are never bizarre. They're always like, well, you know, what if their free will interferes with God's plan and that usurps. And you start down these long trails of trying to reason and understand. And before you know it, you literally do feel like that double-minded person that's described in James chapter 1. So anyway, then um, Boucher goes on. He's talking about the Mark 11. Now Mark 11 verses 22 through 24 as the second place where doubt is addressed in the New Testament. And this is what um, Jesus is actually teaching. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And the setting of this particular teaching that Jesus gave in Mark eleven twenty-two through 24 had to do with the day that Jesus had cursed the fig tree or the fig bush when he walked in to um, Jerusalem and they wanted to get a tasty fig on their way. And the bush had a beautiful set of leaves, but no fruit. And so, because it had no fruit, he cursed the bush. And the next day, when the disciples walked past the fig bush, they were astounded to discover that the whole bush had withered and dried up. And as the disciples um, walked past this fig bush and were amazed that it had withered up, Jesus was basically saying, "'Why are you so surprised? Have faith in God.'" Because when you have faith in God, there is no limit to what you can do. He's He's letting us know that anything is possible. And he uses the scenario of the mountain being lifted up and thrown into the sea in order to say, even that is possible to the one who has faith, believes, and does not doubt in his heart. And so um, he goes on to give quite a quite a a review of this particular passage of scripture emphasizing the whole and does not have doubt in his heart. And this is what he says at the end of that commentary. Clearly, Jesus is saying that doubt has the effect of nullifying the command, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, ensuring that it won't happen. But he's also saying that whereas faith is being certain that what you say or pray will happen, doubt is not being certain. So faith is being certain that whatever everyone says or prays will actually happen. Doubt does not believe it will happen, or at least it isn't sure. Faith says it will happen. Doubt can't say it will happen. At best, it can say it may happen. And my friends, it seems like to me that a lot of us pray this way. We pray, we suffer, we whine, we complain, we say... Well, it might happen if I'm really lucky or if it's God's will. He has something to say about that in a few minutes in this chapter. But we aren't really certain that whatever it is that we are leaving with the Lord and whatever promise we're claiming that God has given us that covers that, we're not certain that it will really happen. And it's this uncertainty that causes us to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Uncertainty makes us uncomfortable. Okay, he's still giving us a definition of doubt. So he says this. So, on the basis of the foregoing, we're ready for a definition of doubt. Now he's going to roll out his definition. Doubt is being uncertain that what God promised will happen for whatever reason. Whether the person is doubting because they're unsure that God has the power to do what he's promised on the one hand, or they're doubting because they're uncertain that God has the willingness on the other hand. Either way, it's doubt. Some people doubt that God will do what he promised because they're unsure that God can, others doubt that he will keep his promises because they're unsure that God wants to. And now he ask the question, what makes us doubt? And he goes on to say that I think that most Christians living at the beginning of the third millennium struggle with the kind of doubt that says, I'm absolutely sure that God can give me what he promised. I'm just not sure he will. I think that this is where most of us get all bumbled up. I'm not sure that I know any believers in Jesus and in God who don't believe that God is able. After all, that's what makes him God. He's big, he's powerful, he's sovereign, he's complete in and of himself. He is the creator of everything we see, those that we see and understand, those that we see and don't understand. So God is certainly able to take care of whatever it is that we're trusting him with. But where we um, begin to doubt, and where our doubts play havoc in our hearts and our minds, is wondering if God is willing is it God's will? Is it His purpose? Is it His plan? Is this a promise that He actually gave to me to claim? And so our doubts kind of wrestle with those places of, um, you know, I'm not sure that it really is God's will for me. I'm not certain that I have the ears and the heart to be able to hear exactly what God's saying. Maybe I've taken this promise out of context, or maybe I've taken hold of it because it's what I want. And maybe God knows that it's really going to be different and not the way that, um, that I'm praying that it will be. Um, and so we have all of these questions that begin to um, wrestle with the ability to be so certain. But basically the point that my friend Boucher is making is that no matter what questions you're asking, whatever they are, those are all questions if, that are entertaining doubt. And I, like, I guess I like that phrase, um, and I just am saying this, not his words, entertaining doubt. Because you see, when doubt comes our way, we can do one of two things we can fight it, or we can entertain it. And I think that, um, and he actually makes the point that. God is merciful and He's gracious and He's kind, and He's given us several examples of places where God um, delivered answers even though the people were doubting. One of my favorite examples is the father whose son was tormented by evil spirits, and God delivered him from that torment even though the father said, um, I. Jesus said, anything's possible for him who believes. And the father goes, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus helped his unbelief by giving him what he was asking for. And I love that um, situation. And so many times I want to pray. I pray that same way. Lord, I do believe. I do believe I'm coming to you with my situation, with my problem. But I need help with my unbelief. And I so long for God. And he has done it many, many times in my life to help me with my unbelief by giving me (laughs) the miracle that I'm asking for, the answer to the prayer that I'm looking for. Several times in this chapter, Richard Butcher um, uh, quotes Martin Luther. And here's one quote from Martin Luther where he says, In the following quote, the reformer Martin Luther beautifully summarizes everything we've learned about faith and doubt in this chapter in a far more memorable way, and this is what he says. So then, this is Martin Luther, before a person begins to pray, he should examine and probe himself to ascertain whether he believes or doubts that his prayer will be fulfilled. If he finds that he doubts or is uncertain or that he prays at random, the prayer is nothing. His heart is not constant. It wavers and wobbles back and forth, and it is impossible for God to put anything into such a heart even as you cannot drop anything into a person's hand if he does not hold it still. Isn't that a great picture? If our heart is bouncing around between whether we believe or whether we don't believe, God might be trying to drop the blessing right there, but he just needs us to be still. That reminds me of the verse in the Psalms that says, be still and know that I am God. Perhaps it's in our stillness, it's in our settling down, it's in our choosing to be calm and to look up, That allows God to deliver the blessing we want. Boucher goes on to say, could anyone say it better than that? Luther says two things in this quote. First, before we pray, we should examine ourselves to see whether we actually believe that our prayer will be fulfilled. If we aren't certain, if we doubt, our prayer is nothing. God won't give us what we ask. Second, with an amazing little metaphor, Luther suggests to us what doubt must look like to God. Just as it is impossible to drop something into a person's hand if they never hold it still, so it is impossible for God to give anything to a doubting heart that wavers and wobbles back and forth. That's what doubting is. That's what doubting does. That is what doubting looks like to to God. Isn't it something? I love those words, wavering and wobbling. Do you have a wavering and a wobbling heart? I do not want to have a wavering and a wobbling heart. And I want to, I'm going to tip into this, and one day I'm going to put all these phrases together, but there are three phrases that we use often as we um, wrap our prayers up when we are praying to God, especially we do this when we're praying publicly, and these phrases are, if it be your will, in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to take those three phrases apart and talk about them at length. But right here, Butcher begins to talk to us about the phrase, if it be your will. And this is what he says. If all the reasons for doubting were ranked, I have no doubt <laughs> that number one on the list would be doubting because of God's will. It works like this. Jesus promises that God will give us what we ask. Nevertheless, most Christians can't say for sure what they have asked that what they've asked God will happen. Why not? because what they've asked may not be God's will. But if doubting means being uncertain that what you've asked God will happen, and you can't ever be sure that what you've asked will happen because it may not be God's will, then you're constantly doubting when you pray. So it makes me wonder whether we should even think about whether something we're asking God is His will or not. Otherwise, we will almost always be doubting with the consequence that God won't give us what we ask. So he's going on to talk about um, how the will, if we're saying, well, if it be your will, could actually just be a code word for, I'm really not sure whether or not you're going to do what it is that I'm asking for. And he uses the example that when Jesus was in the garden and he was wrestling with the coming crucifixion, and as he prayed, he said, let it be your will and not mine, God. Your will be done, and he did pray, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, your will and not mine and he's saying that in this particular situation, Jesus was not confused about the will of God. He says here actually that in this case god's will was crystal clear. Jesus knew that he had come for this very reason it was, and he's mentioned it several times before when he's talking to people, so in fact, his asking um whether it be, if it could be your will, it was his way of telling his father that even though this is going to be really hard and I wish there was another way, I'm going with you. I'm submitting to your will. And so I'm going to read what he said right here. So to see his, not my will, but yours be done as a paradigm for every prayerful request is misguided. I would venture to say that the typical Christian doesn't ask God for many things that they know to be the opposite of God's will as Jesus did in Gethsemane. Along the same lines, it has long been customary for some Christians to qualify every prayer request with the words, if it be your will. Praying, if it be your will, sounds good. It sounds godly even. But unfortunately, it is just an expression of abject doubt clothed in pious-sounding language. It is nothing more than saying, I have no idea whether what I've asked is actually going to be given or happen, which is nothing more than doubt. Doubt wrapped up in false humility, false humility that says, Oh God, how can I, an infinitesimally, I can't even read that word, infinitesimally tiny creature, a wretched little sinner, possibly know whether what I'm asking is your will. The notion that Christians can't ever know whether something that they ask God is his will or not is not a biblical teaching. In the fifth chapter of the first epistle, the Apostle John writes, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. And so with that, um, Butcher is making the point that sometimes our saying, well, if it be your will, is really a cop-out for believing. And it may be code for, I'm bringing this to you, and I'm giving this little bit of an out in case you don't do what it is that I've asked. He wants, he goes on in this chapter to say, well, of course, sometimes what we ask may not be God's will. And of course, sometimes God says no to what it is that we're asking for. But his point is that if whenever we ask God for something, we aren't sure whether he'll give it because it may not be his will, then we are doubting. And of course, somebody who prays with doubt, the point he's making here is that um, that he will not receive what he's asking for because the whole point about remember moving the mountain and sea he who prays and does not doubt is the one who's able to accomplish what he's doing so um he he goes on to say even this it's kind of crazy whether it's god's will or not doesn't matter ultimately it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if he wants to whatever god has promised he he must do whether he wants to or not And then he said, that statement is intentionally provocative. The point is that we get so hung up on whether what we're asking is God's will that we forget that whatever God has promised is His will. My friends, it um, I've been thinking about this as I'm pondering this chapter over and over and even sharing it with you right now but i think of the promises of god as um a, an incredible bank account you know they're but i think of them as belonging to god all of these promises belong to god they are nestled into his word and he and he's kept them there but he has said to people to his children the ones that understand him and know him that all of that is there for our taking all we have to do is um, reach in and claim those promises how do we do that we open the Bible and we and we read them we read the Bible on a regular occasion we yield ourselves to whatever it is we're reading we we come to God as a as a humble servant and and eager and willing to hear what he says and then we open the word and we read from the scripture And a promise strikes us and it really penetrates our heart. It seems to jump right off the pages of the Word of God and right into the exact circumstances that we're dealing with let me assure you that that is not the devil heckling you. That is God giving you His Word. That's God coming alive. That's Him taking what is truth from the beginning of time, from ancient times, and allowing it to make a difference in right now. That's God getting involved in the details of your life. And so when we take hold of this promise and we're standing on this promise in spite of anything contrary happening around us that seems to deny the promise or to um, negate the promise, and we choose to cling to the promise anyway, it is our, well, first, because we've read the promise, we know it belongs to us. It came out of God's vast account and came into ours. And so the promise of God sits in my account, and when I exercise faith, I am making the withdrawal. I'm pulling the promise out of my account, and I'm, um, and I'm spending it on the prayer that I'm praying. And what the devil wants to do, one, he wants us to keep it in God's account and never even touch it. because And so the way he does that, just keep the Bible shut, don't read it, don't read it, and then you won't know. And then he wants us to be so rushed even if we do read that we can't understand that those promises apply to us. We don't slow down long enough to let the love of God penetrate our our hearts, which will penetrate our lives. So he wants to shut us off there. And then if we are, if we make it through those things and we actually take the promise into our own account and claim it for ourselves, what the devil's going to do is at every turn he's going to give us cause to doubt that promise. Oh, we're going to doubt that it's really for us. We're going to doubt that it applies to our situation. We're going to doubt that um, that God's really going to keep it. We're going to doubt that um, we can even hope in that way. And so he's fighting our faith because without faith, the, um, the promises cannot be delivered. So it's by faith that that we make the transaction. Our work is to believe. Um, So this whole concept of doubt is that, I mean, yeah, this whole chapter on faith versus doubt is to help us understand how clear it is. Faith works, doubt destroys. And um, I want to say here, what God expects is not for us to never doubt, because of course, we're going to have to fight those battles. But what he expects is for us to stand strong, and as we fight, to press back the doubt and allow our faith to increase while our doubt gets beaten down. And here he actually has a section of this chapter called Faith Fights Doubt. Not that doing that is easy. It is anything but, I'm reading now. Especially when we find ourselves facing some great need, it takes effort to talk back to the doubts that have decided to have their family reunion in our brains. To talk back to doubt and say, I don't care what you say. I believe it is impossible for God not to keep his promises. What he has promised to me will happen is not easy. He quotes Luther again. This is what Luther said. But when God makes a promise of some kind, faith wrestles much and long for reason or flesh and blood regards God's promise as altogether impossible. Therefore, faith must wrestle with doubt and against reason. Therefore, faith is an active, difficult, and powerful thing. And this is what Butcher says. It's not possible for any of us to be doubt free. Not not do we need to be, nor do we need to be. It's not possible for any of us to be doubt-free, nor do we need to be. What matters is whether we surrender to the doubts or fight through them, talking back to them and reaffirming our belief that God will do what He has promised. And so our our fight, my friends, is to fight doubt. Um, I want to, uh, to really just encourage us to keep up the good fight for the doubt that is go, that goes on the doubt that comes to try to steal our promises. And I want to remind us that when God has given us his word, it is faithful and true. In fact, it would be, I want us to be like Abraham was where it would be harder to believe that God would break his promise than it would to believe that he will keep his word for us. And so, um, That was a, it's just a rich and a good chapter. I want to talk more about it. Maybe in next week's um, podcast, we'll talk about uh, those phrases um, in Jesus name, and if it be your will, and then exactly what amen says. But I am going to end and wrap this up, kind of land this plane by sharing with you. If you don't already know what the word amen does mean, and it simply means so be it, which is to wrap up our prayer by um, proclaiming, you know, it would be a great way for us to pray, to actually quote the promise, thank God for it, and wrap it up by saying, I agree, so be it. It's going to be as you have said that it will be, and then just walk away with the solid satisfaction that, that God, go back to our little prayer clinic bracelets, that God's got this, no matter what this is. So there you have it. That is a discussion of um, the chapter that I have been diving into, and well, really the book. I'm going to share a little more from it um, as we go along, but How We Fight Our Doubts with Faith. Hello, my praying people, and I am so glad that you're here listening. I'm in the middle of doing kind of a series on faith versus doubt and how we can believe and receive and all of those fun little phrases, but this episode that you're about to listen to is based on a chapter out of a book called The Promising God by Richard Butcher. And it's all about what faith is and what doubt is. And in a nutshell, I'll tell you, faith is being certain, doubt is being uncertain. You're gonna notice as you go through this podcast that there's a section of it where my voice changes quite a bit and that's because at the place I was when I was um, recording, I had to stop and start and stop and start because of the interruptions that happen in my normal family life in the evenings. And in fact, I recorded part of the podcast in the evening and the other part in the morning. You all were the very first people that I woke up talking to. And so um, in the second, little portion or kind of toward the end, you're hearing my morning voice, but it is what it is, and I'm glad you're here, and we will continue talking about um, how we can truly pray, believe in the promises, and be people who experience God literally um, getting all up and in our business as He works out the details of our lives, so I hope you enjoy this episode, and that if you enjoy it, you'll give us a five-star rating, and you'll share Share it with your friends. Please do share. It's one of the easiest ways that you can um, share your faith is by sharing these podcasts with people who are struggling to believe. So I hope that you enjoy this episode.